Bases loaded and one out. Marcus oh, my God. Deep to right field. Way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk-off home run. Grand slam. And we are live. What is going on, everybody? Mike here from GTE slash... I don't know what I forget what we're we're broadcasting on the YouTube. So, uh, yeah, joined as always by George. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Mike underscore Curlin. George is at Roto underscore Nino. I was just joking about it, how I use his old Twitter handle all the time when I search for him on Twitter. But uh, George, what's going on, man? What's up, man? Nothing much. Just uh, here we have it's been been a minute since we uh, recorded, but happy to happy to sit here with you this morning and talk some baseball. And not to mention a live stream at that. We never live stream anymore right <laughs> somehow we're gonna screw this up i can't we already screwed up the intro so i mean it's only gonna get better from here right you only go up but today we are discussing we're gonna focus more on the 12 teamers so we're gonna look at sleepers or 12 team leagues we're kind of just going right into that round right around that pick eight 300 adp which gives you that reserve rounds and by reserve rounds i mean these are rounds these are guys that you're pretty much drafting to your bench and these are deeper 12 team leagues because we're focusing on OC the ADP, which is online championships. So for those who play in NFC formats, you're very aware. OCs are 12 teamers. It's uh what it includes middle infielder, corner fielder. So there's about I think it's 23 spots per team. So around 275, top 275 get picked. So we're going to bump it down to about pick 300 and focus on that 300 to 400 range, maybe 500. Because next episode we're going into the all like our favorite players post pick 500, really getting you guys ready for those deeper leagues, the, the DC types, the draft and holds, where we're going to really dive into those like late last 10 rounds. Because I feel like that's very valuable. There's enough arguing over first round picks on this on, on in this podcast world, and there's enough um, of the other content covered, including positional previews, which we have kind of moved on from. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of play, a lot of a lot of places, a lot of people doing really good work with positional previews i don't think we need to re- be so repetitive and do them as well yeah and we agreed on that plus we don't podcast nearly enough like we used to to so we're just going to focus on giving you guys names that of players not as commonly spoken about maybe this episode might have some common names because i have a couple guys that i just want to talk about because i really like them where they're going but that's enough of me rambling um so before we get into it though we got a pl- few shameless plugs obviously check us out on the youtube if you're watching us live that's great if you are listening to us on on the recording check us out on youtube where we're gonna start doing more of these live streams it's youtube.com slash at gte fantasy and then you have our patreon patreon.com slash gte fantasy i know real original it's super hard to find us right and lastly this episode is brought to you by underdog fantasy if you are looking to just start playing some best balls just getting in just dabbling into fantasy baseball as a whole leagues are as cheap as five dollars doesn't get much better than that and they will give you a deposit match guarantee up to a hundred dollars if you're a first time depositor so use promo code gte and you can get that bonus now gte is obviously everything so it's really simple if you know gte you know us you support our content we appreciate it it goes a long way let's talk about strategy when it comes to building your bench i was I, it was something i added to it last minute but um i feel like there should be a strategy when you are drafting a bench you shouldn't just be drafting willy-nilly you should be drafting random players i really do believe in having a strategy when attacking your bench players in shallower formats or in any format with a waiver wire do you have a strategy that you like to employ as you go towards these final picks in your draft? Yeah, if we're talking like shallower uh, league with with waiver wire, like you know, I've I've been doing like a lot of draft and holds, DCs and stuff. So it's a completely you're you're looking at a completely like different kind of player when you're filling out your bench and stuff um, in those formats. But yeah, like in a twelve team uh, league, like we're we're gonna be looking at the uh, online championship uh, ADP today. Uh, you want to shoot for for upside at least you know I, I typically like to shoot for upside because you know they 
in leagues like that, you know, you, it is easier to cut a player. Uh, replacement level is, is much better, you know, that you can find on, on the waiver wire. So I do kind of like to uh, shoot for the upside there um, when looking at these picks, like after the uh, 270s um, where you're filling out your bench. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I look at it like I want to beat the waiver wire, so to speak, especially early in drafts. So if you're drafting right now in these early formats where the waiver wire isn't going to be open for a little bit, but you know, you can see these guys jumping up in spring training via performance, injury, earning a spot in a starting lineup. I'm trying to beat the rush. So I'm treating the bench like a way to beat the waiver wire the first couple of weeks. When it comes to pitching, same thing. I'm trying to beat, I'm trying to either get guys that think could be breakout candidates early in the season that should, you know, make a difference to your team. Maybe a, maybe a guy that I think can just jump and be a guy that's like beyond a two start option. Or if I just want to beat the two, the rush to the waiver wire for two start pitchers, I will stash a guy at the end, right at the end of my draft, a guy that I think, okay, he's set up to be a two starter in two weeks, three weeks. So I'm trying to basically beat the waiver wire. That's how I target this. I beat this. Beat, I'm trying to t- target upside players, but also beat the waiver wire. I feel like it goes hand in hand. Cause if you can get those guys on your, on your team to start the year, you're saving precious fab dollars or waiver priority early on. And you can reapply, you can reallocate that priority or waiver wire dollars elsewhere as the season goes along to a, to a, to attack different needs as ne- as needed. That's how I'm looking at it. And um, the types of targets, obviously, everyone builds up their benches different. I tend to be a little more pitcher heavy just because I think it's um it's easier to find offense in some of these leagues. And as you'll see, like a lot of my my picks today, I have three hitters, or sorry, four hitters and two pitchers. I think we each have six names and pitchers. Not that they're harder to find, but I think hitters are, in a shallower league are more plentiful, especially in positions like the outfield, where outfield is said to be shallow this year. But as you get deeper in the drafts, maybe the higher end talent is shallow because I find myself loving like a handful of outfielders at the end of these drafts. And even into DCs, which next week we'll talk about, a lot of my picks outside the top 500, like around that 300 to 500 range, I'm, I'm realizing outfield is easy to fill in terms of depth right now. So I don't necessarily want to target outfielders, even though I have, I think, two of them on this list today. Outfield is one of those positions where it goes from being shallow to deep relatively quick, depending on which part of the draft you're looking at. And I think that overall positional scarcity is overblown. I've been guilty of it in the past. I've argued for it, and I think it's a bad argument now. More I've uh, educated myself on it. So, uh, yeah, sorry to those who I've besmirched in terms of saying that you know what you're talking about because it was me that i was just speaking out of a place of ignorance <laughs> but uh positional <laughs> positional flexibility is important in certain drafts and where a play, player plays does matter but i think it's i think there's overemphasis as a whole in the industry on it that needs to be kind of we need to start speaking out against it a little more because a lot of the higher a lot of the better players a lot of the big time big name analysts have already done that but some for people people still don't necessarily hear them even though they're saying it and they've been saying it and i'm talking about guys like i think I know Zimmerman's very vocal about positional scarcity not really being a thing. Um, I think Rob Silver has mentioned it. I know I've heard very smart people mention it, and yet it hasn't caught on as much as it should. So I'm going to try to spread the word as well, the gospel, if you will, that positional scarcity isn't real for the most part. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That's something <laughs> I've looked at a little less and less this year um, where it's like, you know, uh, I, I know what stats I need to get and, and where they come from doesn't doesn't really matter all that much to me. It's it's just how I'm building that um, my roster through that in, in any particular draft. Um, I'm just looking to get the stats that I need. And that, I think that goes with us incorporating more of um, projection systems into our prep now than ever before. And I think yeah. that's something we also overlooked. We I I don't re- I think I did I didn't realize how much 
runs it like i would always look at a player and i was really good at dictating skill set like okay this player has upside for running this player can hit home runs and batting average was kind of like you can look at a player and if you look at them enough you get an idea of what to expect in terms of batting average on the high end low end the median but runs and rbi factor into that a lot and i feel like it's something that's some those are two stats i overlooked almost like wins for pitchers they matter but they're they're harder to predict and i think projection systems along with the other stats i think projection projection systems having them included in your process is very important but I, I don't think I realized that how well they do that compared to me. And it made me under and overvalue certain players in years past. So I think that's the big value and the big takeaway I got from projection systems this year, incorporating them is that it helped give me, it helped open my eyes to other players in other ways that maybe I wasn't before for one reason or another. And it, it's been, it's been fun. And I think it's been a good addition to my, uh, my process because my player analysis, I always felt strong about, but not incorporating um projections enough i think was something that was holding me back without me realizing it at the time yeah okay that's enough on that so we can talk about the players now i guess people probably want to know some of the players um i'll just kick it off i'm gonna buy back in a lot of it's on discount but we're talking about upside we're talking about a guy who could be a difference maker if it clicks jared kelnick familiar name (laughs) everyone knows who kelnick is but he's going at let's see and we looked at oc adp since um since the first of the year, there's four, four, I think there's been 14 drafts, um, yeah. 319 overall. So outside the top 300. And he's more of an obvious name, but people might not realize that Kelnick is just, he's still like, what, 23 years old, I think it is. And a guy who's so young with such potential and upside, why are we dismissing him? And I think we, we're, we're, as we as an industry are very dismissive of prospects who don't work out right away. Remember how quick everybody kind of turned on Vlad? Even though Vlad was still getting drafted highly year after year, people were already counting him out because of one failed rookie season. And it was like, I don't know if we should do that, but Kelnick, even with the struggles at the major league level, he still has a power speed combination that is very highly sought after. And we saw him actually build on the max exit velocity was, you know, it, it increased last year from his rookie year or from his first year. Uh, so did the barrel rate. We saw a 13.6% barrel rate for Kelnick. We saw a 114 max exit velocity. The sprint speed isn't really great, but who cares if he's actually running and he stole five bases, he stole 14 total last year between AAA and the majors. So we know he can still bases and this team will let him run. I don't know why we are so quick to dismiss what was a top overall prospect, not just in his system, but a top overall prospect in baseball. He had, he, he had to deal with 2020 developmental issues there, I think has affected minor leaguers more than we realize. And Kelnick is just, again, that talent. You bet on the skills, the raw skills there. And one thing that might benefit him this year is the banning of the shift. Kelnick was a guy who was shifted against like 85% of the time, roughly. And he had a 125 Babbitt last year against it with a, uh, the X Woba was only 277, but it was still 51 points above his actual Woba on the shift. Strikeouts are an issue. We've never seen the strikeout ish be the strikeouts be an issue in the minor leagues. And usually there's a decent like players that have good plate discipline in the minors tend to that tends to carry over to the majors a little better than what it has for Kelnick. So I don't know if there's a little bit of pressing there, a little bit of like he has he feels like he has that chip on his shoulder, he has to prove something. But I think Kelnick, a lot of that is kind of wearing off as people are kind of, you know, quick to just kind of dismiss him already. I think we haven't seen the best out of him yet, and I'm willing to give him a shot, especially in these reserve rounds. So Jared Kelnick's the first guy on my list. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten there yet with with Kelnick just because um, 
I've maybe done two or three 12 team uh, drafts. So uh, like in the 15 yeah. teamers that I'm doing, you know, he's, he's got to be like your fourth or, or fifth out. Like he's got to be in an outfield yeah. starting spot. That's why it's, um, that's why we're doing 12. That's why we're focusing on 12 teamers today. And next week we're going to do 15s. Cause you and I play more 15s and I have, a, yeah. I have a hard time targeting them in 15s because I'd rather him be a reserve round pick. So in 12s, it's a perfect upside play. Whereas in 15s, it's like the upside is being, factored in maybe a little too heavily but same time it's a skill set thing too i i get it i understand the price regardless honestly yeah and, and i can get on board as a as a reserve pick for sure because like, like you said i mean uh it, he, he's one of these like you know post type guys that can uh certainly like you know you can't write the book on him yet um uh, my, my first guy I, i'm going to talk about uh going at 305 uh i like carlos carrasco um as as like you know you're, you're getting him as like your sixth or seventh pitcher um they're in 12 teamers. I mean, last year wasn't so bad. I mean, 152 innings, 3.97 ERA. The the underlying numbers look, you know, just as good as basically what, what he has been throughout his career, 3.53 FIP, 3.45 XFIP. Um, he even got a little unlucky with the, the 1.33 whip. It came with the 0.337 BABIP. So, um, yeah, I think Carrasco's just uh, could be just one of these solid, solid, uh, you know, reserve starters that you could throw uh into into your starting pitching lineup so um you yeah look at the underlying numbers 17.2 percent strikeout minus walk rate 12.9 percent uh swing strike rate uh so yeah i mean i i, I like Carras- you're not going to find very many pitchers with these uh metrics going at, at this point in the draft so uh as a as a reserve pick that you could throw into your lineup at any given week i i, I like them here i think you're muted I love muting myself. I love that. It's like, it's such a rookie mistake. And I do it so often as if I haven't been doing this stuff for like four or five years now. Um, yeah. Carrasco is a guy that I feel like always has those like runs of relevance, always has the skill set, but then just can't stay healthy. But in the reserve mm-hmm. rounds, two start weeks, great team context. There's a lot of reasons to buy in and believe still. And uh, of course there's a, I'm surprised with the, you know, New York bias in, in general, allowing him to still fall this far. New York, people there's a lot of like fantasy people that love themselves some new york mets and i'm surprised the hype hasn't gotten there just because of that don't mind me i'm a host i'm drinking while i'm hosting that's terrible all right and um for those watching we have more views on twitter than we do on youtube if you want to ask any fantasy questions don't forget you can hop on the youtube and actually ask them or if you want or if you have pushback feedback anything you want to respond to we can get to but only on YouTube because Twitter doesn't allow that for next guy on my list is going to be Matt Mervis of the Cubs. And it should be a shocker, but obviously the ADP has fallen, but it's fallen to a place where I want all the shares. Now I've drafted them. I've drafted more now since all the, you know, Hosmer signing the Mancini signing Mervis is not on the 40 man. So why are we, why, why am I drafting them? Because it's not going to take much for him to get on the 40 man. Hosmer is making, I think minimum salary because he's not good. And I think Hosmer was purposely he was he was added before Mancini for depth. I think Mancini is going to be more of a DH outfield and you know platoon partner over at first base with Hosmer. But I don't think both of them are enough of a reason to stop um, Mervis. I think Mervis, you got you love what you see in terms of the uh, the approach. We're talking about a guy with a twenty percent or better strikeout rate at both levels. Last, sorry, at uh, the last two levels last year, he played three levels last year. Hit like what 36 home runs i think it was 36 home runs so the power is legit he has a pull heavy five ball approach which will play up in today's game and a strong and just that plate discipline really encourages me and in fact that his plate discipline improved at every level it didn't get worse as he went up it improved at every level last year there's a lot to like there and if he can keep that going into spring training 
early in the early in the minors if he starts off in the minors i think he's an early call up and that alone warrants a reason to stash him early on plus we'll get more and we'll get more information this could change he's a guy that could easily be off this list if we get word that he's going to spend like oh yeah he might be a june or july call up i don't know if he's worth stashing that long but in a in today's day and age where in in the climate we're in where power is thought to be scarce we know he brings that power upside and Mervis brings a bat that could easily be a middle lineup bat on a team that's going to be better than people might think, even especially after the additions they've made. And they're a team that wants to compete. So if Hosmer's as bad as we expect him to be, if Mancini doesn't bounce back quite to what we expect, Mervis could have a strong start in, in the spring, in spring training slash WBC slash early in the minors. And he'll be on the 40 man and called up in no time. So this is more of an upside play, less potential. Obviously, I think Kelnick has more of a fantasy like the skill set you want in terms of being that five category guy or at least the main power speed categories because obviously both these guys are probably gonna end up in the back halves of their lineups respectively to start but ultimately i want guys who could be difference makers i think mervis and kelnick offer that potential on your bench especially if you're drafting right now where you don't know which direction these guys are going to head entering spring and both could easily be vaulted up into you know beyond your bench spots you know, these guys could be drafted as starters again, especially Mervis was being drafted as a corner infielder in, in leagues prior to the signing. So all it yeah. takes is one Hosmer DFA, which isn't out of the question to get Mervis back into that mix. So I'm taking advantage of the discount right here, essentially. And, a tar- and I like the I like the I like the price and I like the potential and I like the skill set. That combination has me in on Mervis at his price right now. Yeah, I like it. I think I think it's a good call. Who's your next guy? Uh, my next guy I got here, uh, another pitcher. Uh, I like uh, get, getting some pitchers in this range. Um, Steven Matz. Uh, we saw, you know, just a, a season ago, he had a he had a good year uh, with with Toronto, 150 innings, 3.82 ERA. Uh, joined the Cardinals, and you know, but before before his uh, before his he went out with with shoulder uh, a shoulder impingement. His first 37 innings, he had a 6.03 ERA. He had a couple of blowups there, but. The underlying numbers look just fine. I mean, 2.99 xFIP, 22% uh, strikeout minus walk rate. Uh, then he gets knocked out with the shoulder impingement, comes back for one start, uh, throws a, a five inning, seven strikeout, two run uh, game against the Reds uh, before he, I think he like, it was an ankle or knee, knee injury, came back in September as a reliever during the same, the velocity stayed consistent. Um, I think that's one thing that I'm going to uh, monitor this spring with uh, Matt's, but um I, I think he could be a pretty good value here um uh, if he's if he he's reportedly 100 percent healthy um going into spring so i want to see where that that velo is at and if it stays consistent um I, and he's got a good team context he's going to be in line for some wins he's got a good defense behind him um so i i, I do like um matt's here uh, projection systems uh, like him pretty pretty good too i mean atc he's got 3.86 steamer has him for 3.74 um so yeah, I, I I like Steven Matz here where he's going. I like the upside. Yeah, I just I don't know. Steven Matz scares me. I think part of it is because of what he did to me last year when I bought in. And then like I bought back in and then he burnt. Like, I don't know. I'm just you can have him. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna there's a couple other guys there, but I don't think I have oh, I have one guy here. I'll take over him, but I'm not gonna get to him yet. First guy I'm gonna talk about is Matt Brash of the Seattle Mariners. I love me some Matt Brash. And I know he's he was supposed to actually try to get become a starter again and try to work his way back into the starting lineup, but I don't think we're gonna get that, especially now with the WBC. We have Matt Brash actually being utilized as a reliever for Ca- Team Canada, I believe. So that's gonna actually hinder that idea of him getting back to being a starter. But as a reliever, we saw how good he could be, and th- that's where I'm like, I don't know if I want him 
to uh, start again. We saw him have a sub two FIP, a sub the, the X FIP was a, almost a run higher, but still sub three. The strikeout minus walk rate was twenty one point three percent compared to two point one percent for Brash as a start as a reliever compared to a starter. And we have Seawald and Munoz recovering from offseason surgeries, injuries, whatever you want to call it. So I, not that I think both will probably be ready by the season. But even if they're not ready, if they're say they're slightly delayed for any reason, say they're um, they just they just have a slow start because they couldn't pitch through most of spring training properly. You know, actual pitching, throwing, and pitching are different things. I think Brash gets be sneaky for some early season saves, but. Ultimately, I think Brash will just give us all around that solid, almost what we talk about every year. We find one or two names that give us like that middle reliever that can snipe some wins, get a couple saves. I think Brash could be that guy that gives me like, you know, three to five wins and three to five saves and good ratios and on strong strikeouts. And I find value in that in deeper formats. That's but with I know understand shallow formats. We're talking about that with Brash, but I'm willing to take a shot on Brash early because of those other guys possibly starting the year a little slower behind. I'm willing to try to see if I can get a hold ahead of that, um, maybe potential for like a few saves, a handful of saves early on, and then dump him or hold on to him, see where it goes. Because if he could be like an Andrew Miller type, and he's just coming in for the sixth, seventh, eighth round, that's that those innings for for a team in the Mariners that I think are, is going to be better than most people realize, or just as good as last year, which they were a playoff team last year. I think that he can have a lot of value in that role anyway. So Matt Brash is a guy I'm targeting based on. You know, the great stuff plus metrics, great overall numbers as a reliever, and a guy who can at least develop into a multi-inning guy and provide value in that way and maybe snipe some of those wins and saves that we want so badly out of out of anybody, <laughs> but especially a guy who with his potential where he's going to be pitching for this team most. Yeah, I, I like I'm a big uh, fan there of Matt Brash. Um, my next guy I got here uh, going at 333. Uh, got some upside at uh, shallow third base position, but uh, Johan Moncada, I mean, he, he's still only 27 years old. I, I love the price here. I mean, going so late, um, it's taking a look at, at his numbers. I mean, it, it's kind of well-documented already, like the struggles he had uh, gone through starting in 2020 with uh, his bout with COVID. Um, but you look at, you know, back going back to his 2019 season, his barrel rate was at 10.8%. That dropped to 6.2% in 2020. But it's kind of crept up, um, you know, over the last couple seasons, 8.2% in 2021. 9.8% last season, and that was actually all the way up to 11% in the second half last year for uh, Johan Mancada, and we saw him kind of um, tap into some more power down the stretch. Uh, so I, I don't hate it here. I'm not so sure about, like, a complete bounce back to, like, his 2019 levels. He, I don't think he's going to hit 315 or anything like that. Um, but I definitely think that we could see, you know, a, a good power resurgence from from Mancada, and uh, he's going to hit, you know, he's going to play every day uh, for the White Sox as long as he can stay on the field. Uh, and hit in a pretty good spot that Russ Resource has him currently slotted in the fifth spot. I, I don't necessarily, I don't think he falls too much further than that. Uh, so if he's hit batting fifth uh, every day for the White Sox and he could provide, you know, maybe a 240, 250 average and, and 20 homers, um, throw in a couple steals, I, I think that'll play. Um, so going, you know, you could take him on your on your bench. Uh, you know, if you have if you're strong everywhere else. Um, it, it's one of, one of those things where, you know, the whole positional scarcity thing we, we talked about, like if you are strong everywhere else and you throw in a Yohan Moncada as a corner bat or, you know, e even as a third baseman and, and he's got that 20 uh, homer upside. I mean, I think uh, you can't you can't really go wrong there. So I, I do like Moncada going uh, at his price right now. Yeah, we're talking about a guy that still has potential Moncada. 
overall in terms of like his skill set. A guy that was what once he's removed from telling us all he wanted to steal what twenty or thirty bases last spring training and never stole any last year. So that yeah, was a little frustrating. Yeah. But but we're talking about a guy that all it takes is one injury to vault him up the order. Benintendi isn't known for staying healthy. Tim Anderson is not known for staying healthy. Right. Either's Mankata sometimes. But <laughs> Mankata, we're talking about a guy with a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. And in September, October, that last month of the season, we saw the five home runs, two stolen bases. He had a I think he had like a over 800 OPS. I'm trying to do the math real quick or close to it. But um, 109 WRC plus, which is 9% better than uh, league average. But uh, the thing, the reason why I thought it was worth mentioning is because maybe he figured something out. Mankata, although the walks were like non-existent, he struck out He struck out just 23.9% of the time compared to 27% of the time. Uh, walk rate was, like I said, about cut in half. But it was because it was more aggressive at the plate. And right. And actually, hit, I was hit, just going to... Sorry, uh, I, I was going to touch on that because uh, he was more aggressive. You saw he he's last couple of seasons, he was much more passive uh, with his swing rates down. But last year, his 70, 47% swing rate was right in line with uh, in, in 2019. So I do like that as well, that he was uh, more aggressive. Yeah, and it, and it happened heavily in September because uh, go, going back to that, we mentioned the, the, strikeout rate, the strikeout rate and walk rate both dipped, but that was because it was by design. The ground ball rate was only 24.7%, so he increased, he increased the fly ball rate and the swing rate. So again, it goes back to Mankata being more aggressive. Contact rates improved. He had 93% Z contact that month, and the hard hit and barrel rate improved as well. Again, not being so passive. Maybe pitchers adapt to that and aren't maybe throwing him so many first pitch strikes, maybe not throwing him so many fastballs, you know, for early in the strikes and early in the in the count, whatever it might be. So that there is obviously there's always a game of cat and mouse here for pitchers and hitters. But to ignore, I don't want to ignore that late season run for Mankata because if he finally decides he wants to change his approach, it might benefit him and make him be closer to that that uh, that player we once thought or knew him to be or could have been. So Mankata's a guy that I'm with you. He was actually going to make my list. That's why I have all this information. Ready? <laughs> I had all information right now because he was going to make my list, but you told me he was on yours. I pivoted to another guy that I love in Max Kepler. And if you've listened to me talk or if you follow me on Twitter enough, you know Kepler is a guy that I'm just going to get all of if I can. He's a guy that's, I don't even know where he's going in OCs. Um, he's probably like your last, he's one of your last picks in reserve rounds for OCs. He's going 360. So yeah, he's actually going outside the top. Like 360 is, I think, where it ends in terms of like the overall player pool. So I don't think he's being picked. He's not even, he's only been drafted in one OC for reference. So yeah, he's yeah. not even, he's barely getting picked. But he's a guy that I will take with my last pick in most cases. He's a guy that I'm heavily in on for draft champions formats. So I should have probably saved him for that. But Kepler's a guy that 90, 90 last year, Kepler had a 90% Z contact rate. He has overall plus plate discipline. It's always been a strength of his. Doesn't strike out a ton. Walks plenty. He hits the ball hard. You want hard hit metrics because the reason why this matters is because he pulls the ball so much. He actually had a ground ball in line. He had a 296 Woba on ground balls and line drives. It pulled into the shift last year or hit into the shift, I should say, with a 381 X Woba. We're talking about like, it was like 90 point difference basically between his Woba and X Woba on line drives and ground balls hit into the shift last year. The shift is going to be banned. That won't be a direct correlation, but he's one of those guys that's going to gain heavily from the shift, I believe, as a left-handed hitter. And because of that, Kepler's a guy that I'm taking that chance on because he's going undrafted in shallower leagues. So he could be a guy you add to your watch list if you play in really shallow leagues. But we also know he's been a guy who's been like a top 120, 130 pick before. So we know that potential's there. If he could return even close to being that guy that was that, like that fringe 150-ish overall pick, that's still a huge amount of return on investment here. So it's a, ma- it's a matter of I'm betting on that skill set of having some power, having the, the ability to make a ton of contact, while also betting on the shift band, assisting him in returning back to closer to what we he used to be as a player for fantasy purposes. Plus, 
we know when he does play, he typically hits at the top of the order. So we're talking about a guy who can hit top five in a really strong uh, Twins lineup that people might not realize is as good as it is. And they got rid of Arias, who was a top of the order bat. I think Kepler might be on a weak side, might be on a strong side of platoon. So the play appearances might be maxed at like 550-ish, which is still, but again, where you're getting him, you can stream him on weeks where he has a heavy, you know, right-handed pitching lineup. And I'm not really worried about this. So that's fine. He sits for selfies. I really don't care because you're getting a guy who can still hit 25 plus home runs, hit for a decent average and benefit from the shift. And he just hits the ball hard and has good play discipline. I'm a sucker for that. It's a skill set I really enjoy in late round guys. And I feel like we haven't seen the we we might have seen the best of Max Kepler in the past, but the last few years I think the shift has really hindered him, among other things. And I think we see him return to at least what he was. And I think that that where you're getting where you're able to draft him, getting that is still a net positive. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I I like Kepler. He he did. Um, uh, he's definitely going to benefit from from the shift ban. Um, we'll see. You know, if his batted ball profile as far as like those ground balls um, stick. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Kepler. A lot of times I find myself, you know, picking him and uh, my next guy actually acted pretty similar. Uh, my next guy is Mike Yastrzemski, also taken in only one OC. But um, I, I want to say he's probably like one of my most drafted players, um, y- Yastrzemski. Yeah. Kepler's one of mine. That's why I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and own it now. So for better <laughs> or for worse, if you draft with me, Kepler, actually last draft was one of the first drafts I haven't gotten Kepler. Um, I think that was by design, though, just because. I mean, not that he's going early or anything, but it was just one of those things where it's like, all right, let me take someone else. And I think I forgot who I took instead. I I, I kind of regret it just because I'm so in on Kepler. His price tag isn't going to hurt me if I took him in 100% of leagues, honestly. But I changed it up a little bit here and there anyway. Yeah, yeah, you know, and anyway. even sometimes I'll I'll um I'll leave like my last like starting outfielder spot open and just take like a bunch of these two, guys. three guys. Yeah, yeah, in this range, I'll take Yastrzemski and Kepler. Um, you know, and just seeing, you know, wh- who who works out. But I do really like Yastrzemski here. Um, you're not going to find very many guys going this late that are projected for, you know, 550-plus plate appearances. Um, you you, you kind of touched on that with Kepler, too. Uh, Yastrzemski, you know, should play every day. I'm probably going to hit near the top of the lineup against right-handers. Uh, I don't see him leaving the lineup against lefties. You know, he has a very similar um, stat line against left-handers uh, as um, Michael Conforto actually a little bit better than Michael Conforto against lefties uh, through his career. Uh, So I could see, you know, and and the Giants are known for like putting players in the best position, you know, to succeed. We've seen with all of their, um, all of their platooning Conforto, you know, having missed the better part of what, like the last two seasons. um, I do think that maybe they, that he would might be the one who, uh, you know, sees a little bit more of a strong side platoon with Austin Slater uh, moving to center against lefties and uh, maybe Yastrzemski going to a corner uh, where his defense will will excel there. And, I mean, the Giants could use all the defensive help they can get. I don't think Yastrzemski comes off the field. So maybe he hits lower in the lineup against lefties, but I don't think he's going to leave it. And and just looking at, at, I mean, as far as, like, the metrics go, I mean, he's been as consistent as they come since since his debut in 2019. Um, always shown good plate discipline. His, his strikeout rate has hovered, you know, 26% in 2019, 24%, 24%, 25%. Um, you look at his barrel rates, 10%, 10%, 10%, 11% last year, hard hit rates, 42%, 42%, 39%, 42%. I mean, it's it's been so consistent. Um, and yeah, even like his zone, he, he's actually raised his zone contact rate every season, 81, 82, 84, 88% zone contact rate last year. Now, he has been someone who uh, also hurt by the shift. Um, 
you know, last first couple seasons, he had, you know, inflated BABIPs, 325 and 370. We, we knew that he wasn't a, a 297 hitter that he was in 2020 or even a 272 hitter um, that he was in 2019. So, we, you know, there was going to be regression in that BABIP, but that's come all the way down to 254 uh, in 2021, 261 last year. Uh, it has coincided with the rise in, in shift rate. He's been shifted a lot more the last two seasons. Uh, and with that, we've seen him also hit more fly balls. Um, so maybe, you know, getting shifted more has changed his approach uh, where he's raised his fly ball rate, raised his pull rate. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, you know, that's something that's probably intentional. And so we'll see, you know, if that uh, approach changes uh, th- this coming year. I think he's going to be helped by the shift ban regardless. Um, but maybe if he's not pulling as many uh, fly balls this year, we see that Babbitt uh, kind of come back up. And, and with that 11, you know, consistent barrel rates and hard hit rates, I, I think we could see, you know, a 240, 250 um, batting average from Yastrzemski is possible with uh, 20 homer power. He's going to score, you know, a good amount of runs, scored 73 runs last year and 558 plate appearances because uh, he, he does get on base. Uh, and then uh, he's also going to, you know, he's also somebody who I think, you know, he's in that five stolen base range, can we see, you know, nine, ten stolen bases from Yuskramski this this season? I mean, he's nine for ten on base paths in the last two seasons. And uh, and uh, Gabe Kapler recently at the the Giants, you know, Fan Fest kind of touched on the rule changes and uh, did did say that you know base running was going to be emphasized that uh, you know uh, steals were going to be a factor with with the new uh, rules. And so I I think you know Yuskramski could be somebody who. Uh, maybe goes from for these four to five steals the last two seasons to seven, eight, nine steals. You can definitely see that. So I really like uh, I really like where Yastrzemski's going here, um, and, and I think he's going to end up being a pretty good value. Oh, I I just I got burned by him, and I just haven't been able to I get back in on him after getting burned after buying in after the breakout, and then it didn't continue, and it just I'm just just scorned. Like a scorned lover. You're picking guys that just have burned me in the past that I don't know if I want to do it to myself again. So I'd rather do it with my own guys. You know, I'd rather buy it back into my, <laughs> own, my own guys that have hurt me twice. But a guy that I'm in on, my, my number five guy here, is Luis Garcia of the Nationals. You have to emphasize which team, which Gar- Luis Garcia, because there's like 15 of them. But Luis Garcia of the Nationals, the hitter. Last year between AAA and Major League Baseball, as MLB time, we saw him combine for 15 home runs and six home bases. And... Although he was he was you know perfect three for three in the minors he was three for four in the majors. However, those three he was three for four he was three for four to finish the year. Like sounds like I'm trying to say this right. He had three three out of four stolen bases. I can't do this. I can't do the I can't do the math. He okay. So he stole three bases last year. And I remember I think it was like all I think he only got caught once in the second half is what I'm trying to say here. And three out of the four stolen bases came in the first half. So it's like it's like he improved at the major league level in the second half with stolen bases, is what I'm trying to get at after all that, all that mumble jumble <laughs> to say that. But um Luis Garcia improved on his his uh his ability to steal bases at the major major league level last year. Plus, you have the rule changes, the base changes. I think he's a guy that if he did improve towards the end of the year, we can see that carry over. So we know stolen bases are part of his skill set. We know he has some power potential, 91st percentile max exit velocity, and we saw him hit 15 home runs last uh, last year between the two levels. So you have those two, right there, you have the power and speed skills that we all like. Not to mention Luis Garcia has a clear path to playing time for the Nationals. Bad team, doesn't matter. He can hit his way up the lineup 
But regardless, he should have full run is what I'm getting at here. So you have playing time, you have skill sets you target for fantasy purposes. What's there not to like? And there's already reports that Luis Garcia is actually working towards being more selective this offseason, already working on his approach. So you got to love any type of player with top prospect pedigree for this team that, you know, is taking that type of has that type of work ethic. I think work ethic is something you can't quantify the numbers, but at least it gives you reason to buy into why a player can improve, at it, especially a young player with his type of skill set. And, you know, he was a top prospect for this team. All that, putting all that together, I'm just really liking where I'm getting him. And he also has to just the cherry on top for Luis Garcia is the dual position eligibility. I think it's what second base shortstop two positions that shortstop kind of falls off a cliff and second base, although deep there's that lacks, you know, elite options at the top. So I think that Garcia can be a guy that might pop at second base compared to like others going around that range, but also provides upside at shortstop where that cliff falls off. Maybe he can help ease that fall off a little bit. So Garcia is a guy that I'm just targeting for all the reasons I stated, but a lot of it's just skill set, opportunity for playing time and the positional eligibility is just that cherry on top. I really like. Yeah, I I like it. I mean, he's, he's still only 22 years old. Um, Yeah. Again, so I mean, it's like Kelnick. People just kind of forget these prospects are still young and developing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would love to see him get that launch angle up because I, I think you know that's that's the missing piece that and and a little bit more play discipline. But um, when you got a guy this late, where you know you can look at the skills there and and see the the path to growth. I mean, yeah, I I, I like it. It's a good one. Do we ever disagree? I mean, I guess Matt's was kind of a disagreement. I just didn't have anything really. Uh ready to fire back a full-on argument but i'm just not i guess i'm just not in on mats i hate we do often are on the same page which leads to a boring podcast for some people because i do think people enjoy bickering people enjoy arguing and if for right for right rightfully so because i feel like the best conversations come from that but you and i tend to be on a lot of the same players so i'm gonna formulate an opinion against mats next week just because of but yeah we're we gonna have-, have to just like go through our rankings and find the guys that we differ on the most and just do a debate pod and, and we're gonna I- go at it <laughs> probably but here's the thing we're both gonna present arguments that we i think that each of us will respect from one another and be like i get it but i'm just not buying it it's pretty much all we're gonna have it's always gonna be the pushback it's like i get it but i just don't think we're gonna see that growth like <laughs> if you said for, for like all you had to say is like i see the tools there for garcia but I don't believe in the growth. I'm not betting on him growing as a prospect. I'm not betting. That would be the only argument because the tools like it, we, I, I like to think that we present arguments or we present facts and numbers to back our reasoning to a point where you really need a, a strong set of numbers to help push back. And a lot of times when we, when we present the argument, it comes with so much information behind it. It's hard to really argue it fully without just kind of going with a, like part of it's just my gut feeling. Like I don't buy it. I, I'm just not buying the same thing you're presenting, but I get it. So that's why it's we're boring. We don't have, I haven't, we need to find, we need a third person that's just, we're Simeon. I hate that guy. I was just going to say, I was just going to say. I need Simeon. If Simeon was here, yes, that, there you go. There's my, there's my antichrist, so to speak, my anti-curlin. Yeah, Simeon and I, that's, that's the guy. I just, even if I don't, even if I agree with him, I find ways to argue with him. I just, it's fun. Anyway, so yeah, me and you will stick with being the good guys here um so you're on your next guy i'm so confused where we're at right now i think we yeah i have one more you have two more right yeah i had uh an extra one thrown okay in in here but uh my my next guy uh and and i think uh, i mean uh my next guy i I really like uh david peterson uh i feel like he's someone who i mean if the mets hadn't made all the moves that they made you know if they hadn't signed verlander um if they hadn't brought in uh uh senga uh 
if they hadn't brought in Jose Quintana, uh, he's someone that would be going much, much earlier. But I'm actually glad that his prices has remained suppressed because, I mean, I, I think he's he's going to get an opportunity. I, I mean, you, you look at that rotation, there's there's so much risk up up and down. You're, you've got two guys, you know, uh, approaching. Well, you got Verlander who just hit 40, Scherzer approaching his 40s. Um, I, I did mention the outside uh, with Carrasco, but, I mean, he again, him – He's another one who's battled, you know, multiple injuries. Um, so I, I do think I do like that the the price is, is still suppressed for for David Peterson because he did a lot of good things last year. He made a lot of growth. I I really liked what I saw. I they kind of had him going up and down through um, the minors and 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 they would call him up to make some spot starts. But he did get in 105 innings uh, with a 3.83 ERA, 3.31 xFIP, 12.8 percent swinging strike rate. A lot of good stuff to like about about David Peterson. Um, so I, I mean, you, you look at like, you know, the, the, uh, the walk rate, it could definitely use, um, some improvement there, but the, the skills are strong. The skills are strong here for Peterson. And as late as he's, as he's going, I, I think there's a good amount of upside here with him. Uh, if he could take, you know, just, a, another step there. Uh, so I, I do think that there could be an opportunity opening up, whether, you know, he, he takes a spot in the rotation or, or come if it comes through injury um but he's someone that i like grabbing you know at uh, very very late here um in drafts just just because of the skills all right (laughs) yeah it's uh it's again it's just hard to argue these players here because it's all it's all a lot of its preference and there's gonna be a lot of names that we don't even talk about that also deserve being mentioned so maybe we'll do a part two here because there's a lot of players it's like i tend to i even scrubbed a few names from here because there's gonna be another video coming out on youtube with yeah, Matt Brash is gonna be on both video, th- this live stream and the video, but I didn't want to include more than just him. I didn't want to include that name twice. So it's like it's one of those things where we're at a point where there's so many players with upside and potential. It's just frustrating you can't pick them all. Uh, last guy for me is a guy that I've been on before. See, I- I'm biased to my scorned lovers, my my, the, my 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 past my past lovers that I've fallen for that have burned me. I- I'm prone to revisiting and trying this again and i'm giving another i'm giving a second second chance to aaron savale <laughs> i just i can't quit him <laughs> the second half we saw him sustain the highest usage of his cutter and curveball so there was a little bit of a pitch mix change cut the sinker down a little bit from the prior two months ending you know to end the year and with all with the changes in pitch mix we also saw Overall, the K minus walk rate improved from 23.4% up from 15.4% in the first half. So Savali saw better success for, with the strikeouts and walks. It also was backed by the fact that he posted an above average O swing and above average swing strike rate. Two things, you know, he's, he's inducing more swing strikes, more chases. That's great. You want that type of skill set. So the K minus walk rate improving kind of it makes sense because it has correlating underlying numbers elsewhere as well that kind of just go with it and then of course the ratios were like a 3.35 era a 3.41 fib xfit was 3.01 and 3.0 sierra it was just it's ridiculous the fact that he was able to actually have this production and it was all backed by the underlying numbers it's not a fluke and all this was like a run to two runs better than the first half so all these improvements came with the change in his approach you love to see tangible change actually correlate to change in production Savali also improved his ground ball rate from like just over 10 percent in the first half to like under four percent in the second half 46.4 percent to be exact in the second half all in all everything went right for him will there be some regression probably most likely but it's a player that has what six pitches he could throw 
it's a player that we've seen have success in small spurts before, and maybe he can finally put it all together. But we also know that the Guardians are like one of the best teams in terms of developing pitching. So, and Savali is a good pitcher. He's just he lacks the stuff, but he's just he's very good when it comes to hitting his spots and attacking the zone the way he likes to. It's almost like Bieber, you know, Bieber. That's how Bieber wins his like does his thing. He's more of like a he's just really just a good pitcher more than overpowering stuff. So I think Zavale, not saying he can be Bieber, but I think Zavale could be more than just a streaming type, especially if we what we saw in the second half carries over. And he's he's just kind of solid, and I really like the floor here late is what it is. And I think there's a little bit of ceiling, but more so I like the fact that I like the team context. I like the idea of having him for a two-start week early in the season. And I, like to see, I would like to see if, if what he ended the season doing will continue into the next year. So Savali becomes that guy, final guy on my list here, the guys that's like, I really want to just take a shot, where he, especially where he's going. And he's my final sleeper for a shallow river. Right on. Yeah, I still don't have any any Savali myself. It's just kind of, I don't know, just yeah. kind of missed him completely. If, but if, uh, you like, if you like Mats, that would explain it too, because him and Mats are going right by each other. So if you yeah. have an idea of like, oh, I want to get Mats on my team, or you might just not be attacking, starting pitching right there. I, I get that too. There's other guys like uh, Bradish is another guy I really like that goes right in this range too. So it could be hard to target Savale because there's other upside players you might like more or other players you might believe in more. And Savale is just kind of the, the just the the meh option because people see Savale and they think they know, they think they, you know, when you see Savale's name, you just think yeah. you know what to expect when there could be more there than we're, you know, kind of giving them credit for. Or I like to believe that because I've been in on Savale since like 2020 and I refuse to give up. So it could be that. <laughs> could be a little bit of personal bias lingering in there somewhere. Yeah, my uh, my last guy. This one might be a little bit more for for DCs, but it's a it's a safe spec. I really like uh, going really late. It's uh, Albert Alzale. Um, I mean, I, I liked him a couple years ago uh, going into the 2021 season as a starter. Uh, didn't really cut it there. It was really um, it was really his struggles against lefties that kind of did him in uh, as a starter. Um, that season, uh, I mean, he had he had a solid 21.8% strikeout minus walk rate uh, against right-handers, but that was basically cut in half against lefties um, that, that really hit him hard. So uh, then he, uh, uh, I think he missed some time, uh, some, some time with injury, came back as a reliever late in 2021 with an improved cutter that he started throwing to left-handers. And basically since uh, the end of, of 2021 and then his – you know, he only had like 13 innings last year out of, out of the pen, but um, he's been much better, much better against lefties out of the pen uh, where his stuff plays up, uh, where that cutter plays up with the, the better velocity. Um, so I, I think he's someone who has just could be lights out in the bullpen. I'm not really a believer in, um, in Brandon Hughes. Uh, he has similar struggles, but it's right-handers that really crush him. Uh, so I don't think Brandon Hughes, I don't think he, I mean, without some major adjustments as well, I, I don't think that he is long for the closer job if it is him that starts as the closer. Uh, so I, I really like taking a chance on uh, Albert Alzale, and he's someone who can maybe throw, um, you know, multiple innings at a time uh, and, and give you, you know, really good ratios, strikeouts. Uh, but I, I also don't see like i don't think the cubs need him to do that because they they do have some guys that you know um they do have some guys that they can get into the rotation uh or that they can put in long relief and you got adrian sampson uh you've got keegan thompson you've got uh another guy a lot of people really like hayden wisneski 
so I, I don't think they necessarily need Alzale to throw multiple innings. And so if, if he's just lighting it up and, and he's uh, just dominating out of the pen um, and they need that ninth inning shutdown guy, I, I think uh, yeah, I think that could definitely be Alzale. I think the, the path is certainly there for him uh, to, to eventually, you know, kind of take over um, as closer. So he's, he's someone that I, I like taking a lot. And again, this is probably a little bit more for DC's um, cause we got to see all this kind of play out. Um, and I'm not sh- so sure that happens this spring. Uh, so may- maybe it's not such a great, like shallower, uh, league pick, but, uh, yeah, in this range, I-, I definitely like taking a chance on Alzale. Yeah. That's a good way to end the podcast because you're transitioning us into those deeper league names, but you mentioned Wesneski and I really, I found him intriguing. The sub three year. I have no, I have notes on him cause I looked at him just yesterday. So it's like, let me just talk about him as a bonus pick. Uh, you know, 33 innings pitched last year at the at the major league level, sub three ERA. Great. Obviously, the ERA the ERA indicators suggest he got lucky. No surprise with the sub three ERA. Above average K minus walk rate of 19.7%. It was aided by very strong control that he flashed because you know he didn't walk many players, but his strikeout rate was like right around league, you know, right, right around that nine percent range, you know, nine, 10, like less than ten percent. So, but the swing the swing the swing strike percentage was 11.7% and the O swing was 34.7%. So those were roughly league average, slightly above technically for, for I think the swing strike rate was like close. I think it's like 11.4 is league average for a reference. Uh, so Wesneski had like these skills of being like, I feel like it's just, he's this, he's a solid back end of the rotation type, kind of similar to a Savale. So it's, I get it. I just feel like there's less of a path of a, of a rotation spot initially the, or, or he's not going to be, or he has a shorter, maybe a shorter leash. I'm getting at honestly, because they have so many options in the back end of that rotation. feels like the Cubs do, mm-hmm. but um, the Velo also leaves something to be desired. 93 mile power fastball. It's like, man, nah, but again, it goes back to reminding me of Savale because he also has like a five pitch mix that he can uh, utilize. So he has like what, what he lacks in Velo he could probably, you know, he has in having just that arsenal. So Wisniewski is a guy that's like I'm really intrigued by. But it's like if I like if I like Justin Steele, I don't know how much I like Wisniewski because it's like there's only enough room for so much mediocrity potential for mediocrity on my team, you know. So it's like Steele, Wisniewski, Savale. These are guys that I really like, but it's you have to kind of I feel like I have to spread them around because there's just so much mediocrity there. I'm not sure which one I feel like can have the best chance for popping, and I don't. It's just I don't know. So it's like I like all of them, but like I won't have more than one of them on any given team. If that makes any sense. No, I, I, I totally get enough. you. But yeah, so yeah. that's a bonus, bonus name, bonus breakdown. A guy that I just happened to have notes on from yesterday because I'm going team by team, looking at 40 man rosters right now and making notes on every player that could have some type of you know poten- potential to be fantasy relevant on 40 man rosters heading into the year. So more for the, like DC reason formats and more for the uh, only type of leagues NLAL. So. That's where I have like all these random like names. Like, what's that? He's not a random name. He's actually kind of in this range, but it's why I have notes on him because I made it to the NL Central. I'm finishing up the NL Central. There's a lot more names than I realized, especially teams like the Pirates and stuff where there's so much playing time potential and so much mediocrity throughout the 40 man that it's like, well, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy all have a chance for like these two spots. Which (laughs) on 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 your average team, those guys should not even be mentioned, but it's the Pirates. I digress. Um, obviously you're getting an idea of what to expect from us because I just kind of posted the NL East over there on the Patreon. So NL Central's coming soon. you you got your relief pitcher stuff on the Patreon. You just you released a huge article on things recently, a couple articles too. So like, yeah, the Patreon's going strong. Me, you, Simeon, Bubba. Don't forget to check us out there, patreon.com slash GT Fantasy. Um, underdog, use the GTE code if you're a first time uh, sign up person. You get your price, uh, your deposit match guarantee, and YouTube for those who watch on YouTube. 
greatly appreciate it. I point over here as if they can see my YouTube. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for checking us out on YouTube. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash fantasy. That's going to do it for this episode. About an hour. Not bad. I like these live streams. I forget that I enjoy live streams. We didn't get any questions today, but don't forget, if you hop onto the YouTube when we do these live streams, ask your question. We'll get to it um, during the show. So appreciate you listening. Yeah, sure. check, you can check George out on Twitter at Roto underscore Nino, myself at Mike underscore Curlin. And this was episode 186 of the Bases Loaded podcast. So we'll talk to you guys next week, I think. Maybe. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>